Hello, and welcome to Gaming Broadcast, the official broadcast of GamingBroadly.com. I'm your host, Jamie Dale, and today we're joined by Ian Danskin, a New England writer, freelancer, and video essayist. He makes videos about games, films, social politics, and web culture on his channel, Innuendo Studios. And today we're here to talk about violence in video games to continue my mini-series on violence and what the heck it has to do with our video games. So hi, Ian. How are you? I'm well, Jamie. How are you? I'm doing fabulously. I had coffee. I feel good. Yeah, I had I had some zucchini bread. <laughs> it's the basis of, of human life is zucchini bread and coffee. Yeah. <laughs> Too bad we didn't both have both. Well, together we'll be one full human person. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> and we could not be separately. Um, so I'm so excited to have you on the show today. I love I love your videos. I'm so excited to get a chance to talk to you kind of in more depth in a conversational way. Because I've really I've watched I think all of your videos at this point and all of them were were good. Thank you very much. <laughs> Congratulations on having no garbage videos. Uh, well, give me time. <laughs> the sky's the limit. But I want to actually just go kind of straight out of the gate and ask you about what your relationship with violence is when it comes to video games. I think my relationship to violence is probably similar. Like in terms of playing, I think it's probably pretty similar to like most at least most male gamers relationship to violence of like, yeah, you know, a lot of games are violent and a lot of violent games are good. And violence is um, a very popular topic in or like popular set of mechanics for video games. So you end up like, yeah, like, uh, well, if a game is really good and it's really violent, then you're going to play that really violent game if it like scratches the right itch for you. So yeah, like some of my favorite games are really violent. Like I've got 600 hours into Nuclear Throne right now, which is a game that's just all about like shooting lots and lots of things and making sure that shooting them feels really, really, really good. <laughs> so yeah, like I enjoy violence, but like sort of on the more, I don't know, Taking a step back and looking down at it all, there are like a lot of questions about like, okay, violence is popular in video games. It's popular in other media too, but it seems to be way more popular in video games than anywhere else. And there are a lot of questions about like, why are video games so violent and why is it so hard to talk about why video games are violent without people getting kind of mad at you for even bringing the subject up. Have you had that personal experience where you've like tried to ask people about their thoughts on violence and they've been like, wah! I haven't so far like in, let me think, let me think. Okay, I did one video that talked about violent video games. Like uh, the second video essay I ever did, which is called Blood is Compulsory, mm -hmm. um, which is about uh, advanced warfare, um, Call of Duty advanced warfare. That's the only video I've done that kind of acknowledged like the ubiquity of violence in video games. So it was also like at the time I hadn't put out anything in a really long time and it kind of had like, the smallest splash of anything I'd made. Um, I think it's probably the smallest opening of anything I've done and for like another year. So I didn't, it didn't generate a ton of conversation when it was new. Um, so I don't think, I don't think too many people got mad at me for even questioning violence there, but I've seen that conversation play out in so many places. Like someone mentions like, Hey, why are so many video games like so violent and just the people on Twitter that just come out of the woodwork to like just make a bunch of accusations about what argument the person is even making? Like, I think John Blow like years ago and like I have my issues with John Blow, but, you know, oh, John Blow is the the designer of um, Braid and one of the stars of Indie Game, the movie. 
Um, mm. And he recently put out a game called The Witness. Um, okay. He was kind of like, for a minute there, he was like a really big deal in indie games. Like he was, he was kind of like the bastion of smart game designers who think games are art. And he just like one time there was like E3 happened and there were all these trailers for all these games coming out. And he said like, it's kind of weird how video games are just like, you watch these trailers and it's like, wow, almost all these games are mass murder simulators. And all these people just came out of the woodwork. They're like throwing stats at him, like charts of like how crime rate has gone down as popularity of video games has gone up. And it's like, see, you don't know what you're talking about. He's like, I'm I'm not making whatever argument you think I'm making. (laughs) But it's just like, it's that you can't even mention violence without these people just like getting ready to yell at you. What do you think that that comes from? I guess the larger, I'm going to say video game culture, even though I I know that's not a, a homogenous monolithic mass. But what do you think it is? What is the relationship between video game culture and violence, do you think? Oh, that's a very, very complicated question. <laughs> um, that's why I asked it at the beginning. So we <laughs> right, right. Okay, okay. Um, <laughs> we have time. <laughs> I, think there's, I think there's a lot of different components to it, right? So, like, one is we have what people call the censorship wars that happened in, like, the early to mid-90s, which is actually, like, a really interesting time. Like, that's when um, Tipper Gore was, like, talking about censoring popular music, and Jack Thompson was, like, trying to sue game companies and accusing them of um, causing mass shootings. Um, And there were a bunch of games on consoles that were, like, kind of adult, and so there were, like, these court hearings to determine whether or not there should be some sort of ratings board. Like, the reason we have the ESRB, the uh, Electronic Software Ratings Board. Ha! I remembered it. Um, Impressive. (laughs) Uh, So the reason we have the ESRB is because, like, before that, like, there were kind of adult games coming out with no particular, like, rating system. And so there's all this conversation about, like, oh, games have this mature content. Sometimes they're violent or sometimes they're sexual and they need to be either regulated or they need to be censored or maybe they need to be banned or whatever. And pragmatically speaking, not a lot actually got shaken up by that period in time, like – Jack Thompson never won a case against anyone and eventually got disbarred. And the ESRB happened, but, like, it didn't stem games from, like, entering into adult content. Um, Games are more violent and have more nudity now than they did in the 90s. They just have ratings now. Um, And there's, like, the rule of, like, well, if something is rated 18+, plus, it will not get sold in stores. Like, that's a thing. But the amount that you can put into a game and still be rated M rather than 18 is, like, so extreme that there's it's really not an issue that 18 plus like 18 plus is basically porn games at this point uh, and it's like yeah okay like stores don't want to carry 18 plus whatever so like there's that there's like people have sort of this cultural memory that like someone was gonna take the games away because of violence a long time ago and that's very strange to me because not only did not much actually happen to take the games away so many of the people upset about it weren't even like either born or if they were born were not cognizant enough to know what was going on like i was 10 when the censorship wars happened and i was only barely aware that it happened um so mostly it's like people who were teenagers at that time have sort of passed that cultural memory down to me and then i guess my generation is like passed that down to younger people but so many people have this general sense of like jack thompson the boogeyman who wants to take the games away because he says violent video games make you violent Most of them don't seem to know that Jack Thompson achieved nothing and got disbarred. (laughs) Uh, He is quite, um, he's one of my favorite 
historical characters when it comes to video game history. <laughs> he's everybody's favorite punching bag, yeah. Well, he's like just a strange, intense blip on on the cultural radar because, like, he he inspired so much like vitriol and anger uh, all across the board on both sides. Like, he was just flinging it left and right and then he just kind of blipped out of existence um but like the effects of that have rippled on throughout time yeah they tried to he tried to make a comeback recently and that that didn't go well for him oh what did he try to do well so like when when oh we're just going to talk about every controversial subject so when (laughs) gamergate was happening um the these these two guys were making a documentary about anita sarkeesian talking about what a phony, horrible, like, like, oh, feminism is cancer documentary. which nice. Which did ultimately (laughs) come out, but, like, that was a total disaster. Like, there's uh, Dan Olson, who does Folding Ideas. It's another YouTube channel that talks about games sometimes. He, like, live-tweeted watching this movie, and he's like, this is the most incompetent movie I've ever seen. Like, there's a sequence between scenes where there's just 12 seconds of dead air like it's just black <laughs> no sound nothing like they clearly just didn't move something over on the timeline and that's in the final release <laughs> but they interviewed jack thompson like they went to interview jack thompson and ask him his opinion on like feminist critique of video games and oh. he was against it he said he accused people like feminist uh critics of being censors and so there was this brief moment what? where like all these people mad at feminist critique of games momentarily entertained the notion of like embracing jack thompson and being or like they would say things like oh well you know if jack even jack thompson can tell that you're full of crap then you must be full of crap and i'm like really so you're saying that she's so wrong even jack thompson knows she's wrong but you know if jack thompson said she was right you would say if jack thompson says you're right you know you must be wrong so yeah that like like he's sort of almost had an in with the worst parts of gaming culture liking him and then they realized the optics of that were terrible and ran (laughs) screaming a lot of tweets got deleted that day (laughs) the twitter archive is just full of gold right now yeah um unmined gold oh my god that's hilarious i had no idea Uh, i'm gonna have to do some intense google i didn't even hear about the documentary which is how under under a rock I am sometimes when it comes to Twitter, but it's probably for the best. We can talk about that someday. Oh, good. A different, a different sadder episode. <laughs> <laughs> and I know we, we briefly touched on the censor wars, but where, where does this possessiveness come from? Because critiques are, are nothing new. I feel like film has been critiqued, right? For Film critique has entered the realm of enjoyable and very thoughtful and often very damning. Like, film critiques are often pretty harsh and i feel like video game critiques kind of inspire a different response than critiques of other media art forms go and i'm wondering what your thoughts are on why where this possessiveness comes from so like i feel like there's a bunch of components to it oh god i just got to keep track of them all okay (laughs) (laughs) sorry i'm writing Um, them down i'll I'll try (laughs) great cool so so one element let's let's bullet point it first like one if we're gonna do the the film critique like you have, or the film comparison, you have like the difference of how quickly and video games became this financially dynamite behemoth as mm-hmm. opposed to like how film grew in that way, um, which like they have very, very different histories, at least in their early going. Then there's the element of like to what degree violence 
is related to marketing, right? Like the reason one reason violence is so popular in video games is because people who make video games have found that making violent video games serve some function for them. And whatever that function is, is worth like teasing out, right? Like what is it that they are selling when they put violence in a video game? And then there's just sort of like the rite of passage. Like when you're a kid, most of us don't actually wait until we're 17 or whatever to play an M-rated game. Most of us play when we are too young, quote unquote, to be playing these games. Mm -hmm. And so there's sort of this like weird possessiveness of like playing violent games feels kind of subversive, <laughs> um, like you're breaking a rule. And it's weird because I think on some level people are like, I'm a grown up. I can do this now, blah, blah, blah. But it's also like, yeah, but you're like deep emotional relationship to violence is feeling like you're not supposed to be doing it. And it's kind of fun that you are. And I think people kind of want to keep the feeling that violent video games are subversive, which means there has to always be someone in that narrative who is telling you you shouldn't be playing it. Like, you've got to be railing against something in order for it to feel transgressive. Sure, or else you're just part of uh, the normies. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Filthy casuals. <laughs> but, like, you think about, like... um if you look at the marketing for the new Doom, which was a really, really weird mark, like, did you see the marketing strategy? Like when the new, like Doom 2016 came out and like the marketing leading up to that, the, the trailers for that video were kind of controversial because they were really violent, like really like, like they, there's this glory kill system in the game where like if an enemy's health gets low enough, you can come up to them and kill them with your bare hands without wasting any ammo. And like, they're just pornographically rendered like like oh i dug my fingers into his scalp and split his skull in half with my hands and oh. when you get the chainsaw it's not just like the chainsaw is down and some blood spurts out there's like custom animated every enemy is like dismembered in a unique way um <laughs> how many, and they were wait, just like how many different sorry i'm just questioning how like how unique someone can be dismembered because there's only um a so limited every, number of limbs well, uh, it's Doom, so all the enemies are, like, weird monsters, right? Oh, okay. So it's like, okay. oh, this one, this one you, like, put the, the chainsaw in, like, between the neck and the shoulder, and then it goes diagonally down through their chest, and they split apart that way, and then <laughs> this one is, like, this big hulking monster, so you, like, cut its neck and then, like, rip its skull back, and it was, like, really, really intense, and, like, a lot of elements of the actual gameplay were not on feature in this like it actually kind of looked like well this is going to be very very violent i can't really tell if it's going to be any fun to play and the <laughs> game that actually came out all that stuff was there but it served much more mechanical purpose and the number of dismemberment animations was somewhat reduced and they tended to go faster so it was a little less like relishing in the violence and so there's sort of this question of like why was it at that version of development, you were like, the foot we got to put forward is rather than emphasizing how the game will play, or maybe like not all the mechanics were implemented yet, who knows. But we really, really want to like push the, this game is going to be super violent, like super, super gory violent. Wasn't there a commercial back, I want to say like the 90s, maybe it was early 2000s where it was like showing a grandmother playing a video game and like them like freaking out. And that was like their marketing campaign. Do you remember this? 
I don't remember that one specifically, but I, I remember a number of like, no, it's like it's like the I want my MTV, but for video games, like that's mine and people want to take it away. Yeah, oh, I'm just I'm gonna have to find this and put it in the show notes down below. But yeah, it's just ringing so many bells about how that was to your marketing point a very clear marketing ploy for a yeah. lot of people, and it was directed towards young boys about like. Your mom's going to freak out if she knows you're playing this. Like, yeah, like, yeah. Your yeah, grandmother like, uh, will cry and throw up if she sees what you're playing, like that kind of. The way people would like pass around like the uh, the Genesis version of Mortal Kombat, like had the blood taken out, but there was a code that would put it back in. Um, <laughs> yeah. And so like people would like circulate that and be like, oh, yeah, you can unlock all the blood. <laughs> Like, so like the marketing for Doom is this like like they're selling the game as actually kind of being more violent than it ended up being. And that was like the foot they wanted to put forward. Like they wanted to be like, this is so violent that it actually feels transgressive even by today's standards in the way that the original Doom felt transgressive by the standards of 1993. And it's that idea of like, yeah, this is this is not just violent. It's like naughty. <laughs> Oh, I mean, I can sympathize with everyone wanting to be a little bit naughty, but I don't know if I sympathize with their response to being told there maybe could be a different type of game. <laughs> yeah, or even just acknowledge that it's like you, you know that this is this way to make you feel like you're breaking a rule. And it's like, no, I'm not. I'm actually breaking a rule. <laughs> and it's like, no, no. Millionaires are packaging it this way to make you feel that way. Like th these these folks are not in danger of getting censored right like id is not going to get censored like no no critical analysis of doom is going to make it lose money or whatever like they have done hours and hours and hours of market research and determined that this is the best way to sell their product and whatever backlash it's going to get they have determined that either it's not going to damage them or it will actually probably put more spotlight on them and get them more sales I will say, though, that there there does still tend to be a cultural narrative about video games and violence that I don't know if it's like they're going to take my video game. So it's like similar to the gun thing where people are just saying, like, I'm questioning this and people are like, ah, they're going to take my guns away, um, which is never really what people are saying. But politicians, especially, I think, after horrific, horrific things like mass shootings in schools will often go on this, like, what caused it? Was it video games? Like, I remember Hillary Clinton compared video game violence to like lung cancer at one point. Um, Joe Biden did a very similar thing. Psychologists, I think like really old, older psychologists, not too many of the newer ones will still go on public record as saying like violence in video games is wrong. We should remove it. So even though I don't think anyone is actually going to take video games away, I do think it's an easy boogeyman for a lot of different people. If that makes yeah, any I mean, sense. Even I think even the NRA tried to argue that one time. They were like, no, no, it's not having guns. It's it's violent video games that makes people kill people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, uh, the, the last interview I had actually made the joke, and I think it's appropriate that slamming on violence in video games is something that seems to bring both parties together sometimes <laughs> like both republicans and democrats are like yeah the the violence in video games that's it that's what's causing all of this even if there's not actual any truth to that statement i think one of the one of the more horrific examples was one of the school shooters a few years back everyone said like oh it's because they played all these shooter games in their basement like they made a whole level for it and the truth was they had never really played any shooter games and in fact ooh, in fact spent like five to ten hours a week playing Dance Dance Revolution, which is mm. not the most violent video game ever to no. grace the planet other than like, you know, 
making people sick with your your sick moves, I guess. But that's not really violence in like the traditional sense. But I mean, sometimes someone is so good that it feels violent. <laughs> <laughs> They've just smacked you upside the face with their skill. Uh, yeah. But yeah. So I I while I agree that I don't think anyone is like on the prowl to remove video games, especially since the Supreme Court has established they are art and therefore protected in that way. It is kind of a common thing that people to this day still kind of say in moments of high stress or I would say confusion over why bad things happen. Yeah, and I think that um, some of the backlash against like any discussion of violence tends to conflate the fact that this is still a talking point with like they're conflating discourse with policy you know Mm -hmm. that like because people are talking about this it might lead to games going away and it's like well i mean if somebody critiques a game and a number of people hear that critique and they decide yeah maybe i don't want to buy that game then in a sense it's like well that game might be less popular because there was that critique which people tend to like conflate with you know censorship that it's like well if you ever advocate that somebody not buy something then you're censoring it i'm like uh that's <laughs> not quite all capitalism is censorship is like an <laughs> interesting take but i don't think it's gonna hold up every time i don't buy something i'm censoring yeah I'm, basically i censor amazon all the time then because i yeah oh my god every time i'm broke i'm censoring everybody <laughs> yeah i mean ugh, i love that comparison in terms of people saying like i don't like this game you shouldn't buy it or, like, I wouldn't recommend you buy it. They might not even say it shouldn't. Being completed to, like, you want there to be no more video games that I like ever. There's kind of this yeah. very intense, like... I've seen it at panels a lot, too, when you have a panelist say, like, I want to make games, like, different kinds of games. And usually they just mean, like, I want to see if I can make something that's not violent, that's still interesting. And, and they're like, what's wrong like, with violence? <laughs> yeah, or they come up and they're like, I hear you saying that you don't want to make games for... For me and the people that, like, founded the gaming industry, you get kind of that whole thing. And it's like, no one's going to stop making violent video games as far as I can tell. Yeah, no, definitely not. <laughs> I would be very sad <laughs> if yeah, and I, mean, I no longer got to like, shoot people in my spare time. And that's the thing is, like, there there are people talking about this stuff. Like, now should be the safest time ever to just have a discussion about violent video games precisely because there's no meaningful movement to, like regulate them any more than they're already regulated um and they're not terribly regulated in terms of content you know (laughs) like like again it's like anything short of like porn will pretty much always get an m rating and an m rating can get sold in any store you Mm -hmm. know like there are like if people wanted to have this conversation in australia where like in australia you have to import any game that doesn't fit certain criteria they are much more restrictive about it so, like, in Australia, like, certain types of violence can't be sold in stores. And that's an issue where it's like, okay, well, then maybe, maybe then that could be a charged conversation. But in the States where, like, most of these games are selling out, like, Grand Theft Auto V made half a billion dollars in its first week, which is, you know, a pretty flippin' violent game. <laughs> We're not really in danger of screwing anything by talking about this. But people are so just reflexively like mad if you even bring the subject up. And I think there's I think there's actually like a proper element of tribalism to that. Like violence has defined video games in a lot of different ways for so long that it seems like if you're saying maybe violence doesn't need to be everything or maybe I'm not interested in violence. You're basically saying that like this defining feature of gaming at the very least, might no longer be the defining feature anymore. And I think people are very, very like adamant that 
look, fine, other games can exist, but I want violent games specifically, like a particular type of game. Like what people think of when they think of the core gamer, the games that come to mind when you talk about core games, they want that to stay the default. And that and they're very uncomfortable by the about the idea of like if people made other games, then maybe my games would still get made, but they wouldn't be the norm anymore. Yeah, I think even this memory of what is the norm is often also skewed, probably based on marketing. But I'm thinking of oh, like yeah. Nancy Drew and Barbie games. I, I, if you go through my show notes, this is mentioned in I think almost every single episode. <laughs> <laughs> it's like Barbie games, but they're they're some of the longest running, top selling video games of all time. Like as a franchise, as a group, and they often are not. When you talk about like what are the core video games, whatever the the canon, they're yeah. not often put in the same the same conversation even though if you go by what is normal by sales sales alone right like barbie mm-hmm. games and nancy drew would be like probably towards the top of like most yeah. normalized video games so that's that actually that gets into like some really interesting stuff about like where the line is drawn between core games quote unquote and casual games quote unquote mm-hmm. and like which ones quote unquote gamers think are legitimate So, like, there's all those stats that go around, right, that they talk about, like, what is the gender breakdown of gamers? And the interesting thing has been over the last few years, the the ratio of men to women has been skewing further and further in women's favor Mm -hmm. to the point where I think the last time it was counted, it was 52% of gamers are women. And whenever, like, Kotaku or Polygon or whoever posts this news story, the comments always fill up with people saying, like, yeah, but that's just browser and casual games. Ah, yes. Um, And it's it's always this idea that it's, like, yeah, but there are certain games that don't count, right? And it's like, they're not playing Call of Duty. Like, they're playing Barbie and Nancy Drew. Um, <laughs> and it's like, well, so let's let's walk back from that a little <laughs> bit. Like, let's, let's add some nuance to this conversation. It is true that Barbie and Nancy Drew are more popular with women um, and Call of Duty is more popular with men. It's never by a landslide, though, right? Like, mobile games, like, men and women play mobile games. On average, women play more mobile games than men do. And on average, console games are more played by men than by women. But it's always, like, you're looking at, at most, like, a 70-30 split, where people describe it as being, like, 99 to 1. And so there's all this, like, discussion about, like, you know, okay, so girls only play this type of game and guys only play that type of game. And it's like, okay, but even if that were true, why does that make you a gamer and her not a gamer? Like why, why are Barbie and Nancy drew lesser than like call of duty? I keep saying call of duty. Nobody actually talks about call of duty anymore. (laughs) That's like, that's how uh, on top of like the destiny. We'll go with destiny. Mm, Yeah. Do people Um, talk about violence and destiny? uh, I mean, they get violent over destiny, but I don't (laughs) Right. I don't think Destiny is like sort of the the go-to for like violence because it's definitely not as it doesn't have as many like questionable cultural assumptions in Destiny. Like Call of Duty is very much about white people killing lots and lots and lots of nameless brown people mm-hmm, yeah. um in the name of quote unquote freedom where Destiny is like, oh, these are robots shooting robots, I think? I don't even, I don't play Destiny. <laughs> it doesn't It doesn't run on my GameCube, so I haven't played it. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. Uh, but yeah, so people, like, it's not coming up. The Barbie, Nancy Drew is not, for some reason, in the same playing field as Destiny, Call of Duty, in terms of the, the what's the word? The I want to say the naughtiness factor. That sounds really strange. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've heard that in different contexts. <laughs> 
Well, I'm here to use it right now on video games. Yeah, Barbie. The transgressive yes, factor. Barbie, Barbie and Nancy Drew don't feel as transgressive for some reason. Yeah, and I, I think a lot of it has to do with like, this is maybe kind of a bold statement. A friend of mine used to work for a games company and she talked about like, one of the things people would come in and say when, like, you're trying to market something is you're saying, like, oh, you know, we're worried about losing this or that demographic, right? Like, they talk about market segmentation where, okay, you don't want to make a game for everybody. You want to make a game for a very specific audience because if you make a game very, very tailored to one audience, you can maximize your profits from that audience instead of getting just a little bit of money from a bunch of audiences. Yeah. So, like, marketing is so geared around, like, Target a particular audience, and then you have to ask, what audience do we know how to monetize and how to reach them? And so whenever it's like, oh, we need to make sure that we are reaching a middle class 18 to 35 male audience, they say add blue. Um, and there's probably like different industry terms for different companies or whatever, but the term she like related to me was adding blue. And adding blue means trying to appeal more to boys. And the known ways to appeal to boys are sports, guns, and bikinis, basically. Um, <laughs> Sorry, and it's like, Ian. It's, <laughs> that's all you get. <laughs> that's all you get. Um, and so, like, it's one of these things where you say it's like, it's not just that violent video games are like, okay, it's violent and the violence is bad because it'll teach you how to kill people. And it's like, well, no, there's, there's no data that teaches that, like, says violent video games directly leads to violent behavior. But there is the reality that, like, violence is in video games predominantly to codify those games as being for boys and the fact that those are always the games that get lumped into core games and generally if a game is in lumped into casual games it usually doesn't have violence like it's not like a hard and fast rule it's not like every core game is violent and every casual game is not violent but you see that like Generally speaking, if a game has combat in it, it's going to be considered a core game. And similarly, when we have the debate about like, oh, what is a game and what's not a game? Like when people are like, oh, you know, like this or that game, that's not really a game. Like they say Telltale's Walking Dead isn't really a game. And they say like, um, oh, what is that one? Uh, I'm totally blanking on the name, but it's the one with like all the pastel colors and just walk around an island for a while. I could also be talking about Dear Esther, which they also say that about, but that's not the one I'm thinking of. There's like Gone Esther, um, Edith Finch? Um, no. no, but that's another good example. Um, anyway, <laughs> games the that people say The walking simulators. Are, yeah, basically. When people say walking sims are not really games, you know that if there were shooting mechanics in that game, no one would be saying they're not games, right? That yeah. it's like that one little difference. Even though, like, Dear Esther is made in the same engine as Half-Life. And when people say that's not a game, but Half-Life is a game, I'm always like... You know, Dear Esther has a lot more in common with Half-Life than Half-Life has in common with, like, Moncala, right? <laughs> that, like, like, so it's weird that, like, Moncala and Half-Life are both games and Dear Esther's not a game. When Dear Esther is, like, but for the combat, m controls almost exactly the same as Half-Life. Man, that's, I wonder how much of that has to do with, con maybe not confusion, but, like, a limited sense of what a game mechanic is. Yeah, I mean, that's... That's a can of worms maybe we shouldn't open today, <laughs> um, the, the what is a game debate. But, like, just sort of to make the point that, like, no one ever says something is not a game if it has combat mechanics in it. Like, that is just a culturally accepted, like, that is a valid mechanic. You can be a core game if you have that. You will not be questioned of whether or not you are a game and you will not be called casual if you have combat mechanics. 
And the gender split between what is considered a casual game and what is considered a core game and whether or not, like, it's like, oh, women play games, but they only play casual games. It's like, well, you basically defined core and casual as games marketed to boys are core and games marketed to girls are casual. Like, that really sort of seems to be it. Because, like, when you add blue to a game, you add those elements that people associate with core games. And I think, like, there's this tribalism of... People are really nervous about the idea that something not targeted to boys might become as central to gaming as it is conceived as stuff that is marketed directly to boys. Oh, that was a mouthful. Wait, no, it's good. I'm what is it? Uh, marinating, which is gross, but I'm marinating in this thought. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm also thinking about your identity is is super interesting to me that you're you're kind of vocalizing this and talking about it because from what I know of your of your identity, you often would fall into that category of human that marketing would like to target. Well, I'm 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 out of the 18 to 25 now, so <laughs> fair enough. Um, I'm curious what has enabled you to kind of. I'm going to use a phrase of yours, which is like burst your own bubble, um, yeah. I want to say, which is from a video, which I'll link in the show notes if anyone wants to know where I'm getting this from. But you've kind of burst your own bubble when it comes to thinking about video games. And I'm curious what has led to that. I don't think I ever identified very strongly with like the quote unquote gamer mentality. Mm hmm. Like, I grew up playing adventure games, you know? Like, I played other games. Like, I was really big into Sonic the Hedgehog back in the day. Um, very I violent. Really liked it. It, very well, you <laughs> crush these robots with your head. <laughs> I mean, Pac-Man, you consume things and destroy stuff, which is... But they are already dead bad. and they come back. Oh, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> but, like, kind of my big, like, the things that, like, I absolutely loved was, like, Secret of Monkey Island and Loom and, um, like, Full Throttle Grim Fandango, like, kind of the LucasArts canon. Um, and those games, like, those were not core games, you know? Like, some of them had violence of a kind in them, but, like, they were narrative. They were very narratively structured. It wasn't like you had a combat mechanic. It was sometimes you had a unique puzzle that involved some kind of violence. Like, okay, you, you used the foot icon with that door, and that guy kicked that door down. Oh, he's so cool. But it's not the same as, like, having a dedicated kick button where you can go around kicking any enemy, <laughs> right? Like, there's no enemies in these games. There's no life bars or anything. There's no gratuitous kicking. Yeah, and, like, I always... My family was not necessarily against me playing games, but they were a little, like, stingy with it. I begged for years and years and years to have a Sega Genesis before they finally got one for me, and it was, like, the last year they were in production. Everyone else was already playing N64. And my dad is, like, the son of a minister, so they were a lot more cagey about me playing violent games. Like, again, it wasn't like, you are forbidden to play violent games. They were just like, I don't really know if I want to buy you, like, Doom, you know? So it's like, I'm at home playing, like, Mist and Riven, and I'm having a great old time with them. Um, so when I see all these ads for these, like, very boy-targeted things, like, do you, rem do you remember when, like, there was this brief window where Nintendo tried to appeal to a teenage boy demographic instead of, like, the general, like, family-friendly demographic? It was the Play It Loud campaign. I remember that. I also, when I was doing research on Legend of Zelda, I was looking at old marketing, and it was... um very humorous in terms of making Legend of Zelda very masculine. 
Yeah. <laughs> it was like, do you want to play like a girl or play like a hero or something? I can't remember yeah, the yeah. exact phrasing. Do you want to save the girl or play like Oh, her? yeah, there we go. Yes, I love that. Yeah. It's my favorite commercial. I died laughing. But yes, I do remember when Nintendo was like, crap, we've got teenage boys. So there was like, there was an, a commercial for the Play It Loud campaign where like, my mom saw the commercial and she was like, Ian, I don't want you watching this. It's like, <laughs> it's... It's a commercial. Do you want me to change the channel every time it comes on? She was like, yes. I was like, okay, I'm not going to do that, but okay, let's end this conversation now. But so there was just like, I never had a sense that like those games were for me. Like it just kind of wasn't my experience, you know, like I, I had the subversive like, ooh, ooh, there's, there's my local community theater where like I spent a lot of my time. Someone installed the Duke Nukem 3D shareware version on the computer in the box office. And if I sneak in there, I can play the super violent game. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Right? Like that sort of thing happened. Yeah. But generally speaking, it was never like, I just didn't develop a super passion for those games. I generally felt more fulfilled by like these more narrative focused adventure games. And so it's just never been something I felt like possessive of, right? Like I don't, I don't want people misrepresenting violence as leading to real violence in the real world, but it's also something that I'm not like, oh no, that's mine. And I need to own that. Because a lot of the games I play are, like, I love the Walking Dead Telltale game, the first season anyway. And people say, like, that's not really a game or feels it's, it's, you know, like, whatever. It's more like an interactive film, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I don't care what you call it. I really <laughs> care about it. And I'm not really interested in people who delegitimize that. And I, there seems to be a high overlap with those people and the people who feel really possessive of, like, other types of games. And I'm like, dude, just games is just games like let's just enjoy what we enjoy and we can critique it without you know burning it it's true i i often make the argument that the more critical i am of something the more i like it like when i'm editing a student's paper if i turn it back with a lot of edits that means i really enjoyed it and read it thoroughly if i've given you like Mm. two i probably was like meh (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) there's not much i can do more insulting yeah apathy is so much more insulting than critique Yes, I, I would 100% agree. So I'm going to... So yeah, it's just like when, when people... Oh, go ahead. No, no, no. I like it. What were you going to say? Oh, just when people like... um, That's out of my head now. <laughs> well, good times. <laughs> Why don't you say what you were going to say? Oh, oh no, I've got gonna... it. I've got it. I've got it. Okay, it's back. It's I, read back. It. I read it. So like when people try to market games like to my demographic... Um, and they use like all the stuff that like my friend said they're calling it blue, right? Like all this blue stuff. Like I feel condescended to, right? Like, oh, just the fact that I identify as a man means I'm definitely going to want to play this game where like you have like a quick time event that lets me torture a person. Like, oh, you stab a knife in someone and then I'm supposed to twiddle the right oh. stick. <laughs> and it's like, no, like just the fact that I'm a guy doesn't mean that I'm going to like that. Like that's really sophomoric. Like aside from the fact that it's weirdly gendered the way you're doing that. I'm also just like, that's just not even interesting. <laughs> like, I don't I don't get off on that. So, I don't know. Like, it, it feels like it was a bubble that didn't form very strongly in the first place for me. It's more like a chalk circle. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, the fact that the stuff, the, some of the stuff that I really like playing is probably stuff that, like, these days, now that people have accepted that some games are okay... They would probably point at and be like, see, you should be playing games like this. And I'm like, well, let's not get hasty, but no one's coming after my games. (laughs) And no one's going to come and take my Barbie games away. It's true. No, no. (laughs) (laughs) 
So I'm going to I'm going to try to circle back here and synthesize okay. something and you can tell me if I synthesize wrong. This is my favorite game to play with. <laughs> it sounds very alchemical. With guess, yes, I know. So I I'm loving this nuance that you have about violence in video games does not necessarily cause like one-to-one acts of violence. Like I'm not hearing you say that because you shoot someone in a video game, you're going to pick up go through the hassle of getting a gun and going somewhere and shooting them. Or even having the skills to do that based on hitting your yeah. your right thumb trigger. <laughs> like they're not they're not corollary. So I'm hearing you say that, but I'm also hearing you say that the real issue with violence in video games is not necessarily even the content itself, but how it's kind of culturally coded in terms of gender and authenticity of a game. Maybe authenticity is the wrong word, but like gender and how much it counts, I would say like if it counts. I would say that that's of one thing. of a number of problems, yeah. <laughs> Um, but if, am I like on the right track in terms of yes absolutely yes. like Perfect. Um, regardless of how we think the violence affects us there is the question of like what the violence is used to sell and who it's supposed to sell itself to would you be excited if you saw a advertisement that was clearly for a very violent video game that was somehow simultaneously directed towards young women <laughs> I mean that's that gets into like a whole bunch of stuff about like <laughs> So, okay, if we see that there's this gender divide where we we have codified violence as being masculine and we've got these other number of things like your Barbies and your Jenny, Jenny LeClue and your Nancy Drew, right? Like yeah. all that's codified as feminine. The question is, okay, so if we want to decouple that, how do we do it, right? Does it mean stop codifying something as gendered at all? Or does it mean allowing you to codify things as the opposite gender? So it's like, do you want to make violent stuff targeted at women? Or do you want to just make violent stuff and not target it towards anyone? What's the right approach, right? And I don't think we have an answer to that. And I kind of think like, I think if we want to decouple it. Both are valid options. And it's more a question of like how you go about it. And ideally, we would have a lot of both, right? Like not like, well, you do a little bit of one. And if that doesn't work, forget the whole thing. It's like, well... Let's have violent stuff that's targeted to men. Let's have violent stuff that's targeted to women. Let's have violent stuff that's targeted to no one and everyone. And let's also have non-violent stuff that's targeted to everyone, right? Like, I tend to take the shotgun approach of, like, just more of everything. More of everything for everyone. <laughs> I mean, that is also my favorite approach. I, I've enjoyed some of your videos, too, which have pointed out I'm I'm going to use the word feminine here, and I when I use that, I don't mean that in terms of, like, feminine, therefore, for women, obviously. Um mm. I'm going to separate those two in this comment, but I've seen you kind of point out more feminine aspects of games that other people might have considered very masculine. And I think that is one of my favorite things that people do. So I've heard commentary where someone breaks down Destiny into being a bunch of space Barbies because the dress up hmm. component of Destiny is so intense and valued by so many people like i've sat with my my dude friends who um some of them gear towards very masculine but who spend like two hours trying to choose what color to make their armor and it cracks me up because it's literally no different than barbie fashion designer in my mind <laughs> in terms of a mechanic <laughs> like you're sitting for two hours changing the color of someone's clothes like i enjoy that yeah i feel everyone should enjoy that at least a little bit or maybe not not everyone has to enjoy it but but so long as it looks more like an action figure than a doll. Yes. Right? Then it's okay for boys to do it. It's like how hard the lines are. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty much how angular their their spacesuit seems. Yeah, yeah. The fact that they're made out of metal. <laughs> 
I'm gonna I'm gonna make a throwback to another one of your videos, and you can be like, "Damn it, Jamie, don't bring up that video." But there was one video you had. I think it was the second in the uh, why Why are you angry? Why are you so angry? I can't remember. Why are you so angry? There we go. There's a so in there. Where you were talking about how when someone says, I don't like video games, or when someone says they don't like something or don't do something, and you you touched on this earlier, people respond very emotionally because they feel like it's a personal attack on their own morality. Do you find that that, Mm -hmm. you use the reference of, I think, drinking, like someone who's decided they don't drink at a party will say, I don't drink. And the person who offered them a drink was like, drinking is fine, like, I'm fine, like, why would you say that there's something wrong? Like, just like this over-the-top response to a personal decision someone else has made do you find that that kind of is similar because of this debate about violence in video games when someone says eh i'm not really into violent video games do you find that that kind of conversational pattern is happening there as well i mean that's my assumption it's hard to make definitive statements but that's sort of like my gut feeling because i think there's like america is a very weird culture because it feels like a lot of our morality is built on guilt (laughs) um so like thanks protestants yeah, basically. <laughs> um, I like I went through the D.A.R.E. program when I was a kid, right? Like drug abuse resistance education. Um, and I feel like D.A.R.E. had a lot of backfire effect because it tells you like drugs are bad. Drugs are absolutely bad. Do not do drugs. Alcohol is bad. Cigarettes are bad. Marijuana is bad. Right. <laughs> and like it's very like shame and guilt. Like like if you do this, you're a bad person. Um, and I feel like. What you end up with is you end up with like two populations of people where you have some people who are like they're going to feel self-conscious and guilty about drugs for a very, very long time. And you're going to get people who sort of rebel against that and like do drugs like a lot (laughs) Um, who are really like, I'm not going to listen to that sheriff who came in and told me drinking is bad. I'm going to get drunk every weekend. (laughs) Um, And what I feel like you end up losing is people in the middle who just kind of don't care. Like, people who just don't have one strong opinion one way or another. So it's like, whichever camp you shake out into, the one thing that seems consistent about going through the D.A.R.E. program is everyone feels like drugs and alcohol are a really big deal. Um, And that makes it very hard to just be like, eh, like, I I don't drink, but it's not a thing. Um, And it means that, like, a lot of times people who drink, they drink in this sort of, like, consensus environment of we're all at a party, everyone's drinking, we've all agreed it's okay to drink. Okay, cool. And then this person who doesn't drink is, like, calling into question that consensus, right? It's, it's like, oh, this person doesn't drink, which means we are entering into the field of play, the possibility that not drinking is valid. And because, like, programs like D.A.R.E. and our weird guilt-based economy of drugs and alcohol in the U.S. is so built on, like, polarizing to extremes that you start to feel, like, oh, crap, like, what if what if they're actually right and drinking is bad because I had a sheriff tell me all through my youth that drinking is bad and I'm actually bad and the only reason I feel okay is because everyone around me has agreed, no, it's not bad. And, like, I think that's a terrible system of morality for people to just, like, do things because shame and guilt have made you feel like those things are just vitally, vitally important. Like, half the people who were straight edgers in my middle school were, like, alcoholics and stoners in my high school. And I really feel like if people hadn't shamed them, shamed the idea of drugs so much when they were kids, they might have drunk and smoked, but they probably wouldn't have drunk and smoked as much. Um, And the people who, like, didn't want to might have partaken a little bit, but probably wouldn't have, like, been scared and guilty about it. 
And I think that there is some of that. Like when you grow up feeling like you're being judged for playing violent games, even if that is like at this point a two generations removed cultural memory of like some weirdo lawyer who wanted to take games away before you were born. Um, (laughs) There is this feeling that like, well, violence is important, right? Like whether or not violence is good or it's bad, it's important. And you have to defend against the idea that it's bad because this guilt-based like morality has kind of made you worry deep down that, well, maybe it is bad. Like maybe it does make people kill people. And like, I'm, I am like 98% positive that violent video games have never led anyone to kill anyone. (laughs) But there is still, like, there's a lot about violence in video games that deserves to be questioned regardless of that, right? Like, there's the whole question of, you know, the militarism of a lot of uh, violent video games is very, like, whether or not it encourages you to kill people, it's very much, like, entirely in favor of American expansionism and American interventionism, and it takes the war on terror often as, like, an unqualified good, and it's like, okay, this doesn't lead you to kill people, but does it make you complacent with the military-industrial complex, which does lead to a more violent world? And, like, those are questions that I really want people to be able to discuss in a meaningful way, but they really can't if the moment you bring it up, someone's jumping down your throat for saying, like, oh, violence is maybe... No, 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 shut up! Shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up! Violence is fine! <laughs> Man, there's such an interesting tension between needing something... I'm just thinking about this in my own life. But needing something to be transgressive, because that's why I enjoy it, but also not liking it when people point out that it might be bad, and therefore I might be immoral for partaking of it. Like... I'm imagining I mean, in my mind they, other things. I don't know. No one, like, not do me Do they personally. actually not, I guess my question is like, do they actually not like it when somebody does that? Because it's like, on some level, it's like, they're just itching to have that argument. Like, they've got, they've got all the screenshots of those charts that are completely irrelevant to the conversation. Like, they know where that is. Like, when somebody posts something about it, they've got that chart at the ready. They're, like, waiting for that argument. They've got a desktop folder. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> or, like, they've got it bookmarked somewhere. Well, and that's – you. we've talked before very briefly about quantitative data. And I'm seeing you use mm-hmm. it as kind of, like, when people are using quantitative data as part of these larger discussions about what violence in video games as an art form or media means, they're kind of using quantitative data as a smokescreen to, do you think maybe the larger conversation or the broader or more challenging conversation? Yeah, I mean, I think data can inform these conversations. The problem is that I don't think we have very robust data at this point, right? Like the reason I say I'm 98% sure as opposed to 100% sure that violent games don't lead to violent behavior um, is sort of this larger issue of like the kind of longitudinal study you would need to do to actually find out if there is a correlation between video game violence and violent behavior is the kind of study that like there just isn't grant money for that kind of study. Like no one is like, oh, yeah, you're, we're going to let you study, like do really, really deep research into a sizable population of gamers for years on end. Right. Yeah. So like most studies are like the way. I've heard it phrased. You may have more information on this because you actually interviewed the guys who wrote the book on the subject. (laughs) Um, But the way I've heard it described is like there are a handful of studies that say conclusively, no, there is not a um, correlation between violent behavior and violent video games. And there's another handful of studies that say, yes, we conclusively found that there was a correlation. But generally, if you look deeply, you're like, well, 
what you're do like what you're calling violent behavior and how much data you have to support that is kind of suspect. It's like someone played a violent game and then immediately after they finished playing, they said, are you agitated right now? And it's like, well, I mean, you just played a violent game. Maybe you're kind of amped up. That doesn't mean you're going to go out and punch somebody. Yeah, that is you are 100 percent correct on that is that is what I've heard. <laughs> but the overwhelming majority of studies into this have basically said inconclusive, right? Like we just don't actually know. Um, and like one of the issues is that like there is massive lobbying in the U.S. at least um, against any research into the origins of gun violence. Like the gun lobby has for a while, I think it was actually like soft banned, like the government would not fund research into the origins of gun violence. And now that's sort of led up. But a lot of researchers are like there is such intense lobbying against this that it's basically career suicide to search for any of the origins of gun violence, be it from video games or anything else. Um, and so we're always left in the situation of like, really, when we're talking about does violent video game, do violent video games lead to violent behavior? We are talking about like belief and faith and and like opinion. It has a lot less to do with data because there's just not enough data. What data we have does not yet suggest that there is any correlation. But there is still the fact that like that data could be out there and not found yet because we haven't really been able to do the kind of search that would turn it up. Yeah, I also just think the complicatedness of the question. And I am of the belief that if I play, because I, I often play the most violent character <laughs> in games, <laughs> I'm a big fan of the ones that punch people or like just do massive amounts of damage. But Are you a Doomfist player? <laughs> I do. I love punching things. It's okay. But like in games, I've never actually, and I'm kind of an example, but I've never actually been in a fight with anyone other than my sister who I lost always to. So it, it did not help me be better at violence. That's for damn sure. Okay. But, um, it's like I keep pushing the A button and nothing's <laughs> happening. Why doesn't she fall over? No, but I, so I don't, I don't know if that exact, very clear one to one exists, but there is the larger, less one to one that is cultural influence. And I think that right. is so hard to study in a closed lab that I would, mm -hmm. unless you can lock a child in a room for a long and not let it not expose it to any other like forms of violence in film or movies well that's the same thing but tv <laughs> movies uh books like unless you can isolate children and just have them play violent video games or not play violent video games i'm not really sure how you could make that one-to-one -one. i'm sure there's ways but it just seems so complicated because i think there are larger as you mentioned like cultural implications of violence in video games that are not easy to tie down like how much does our video games which kind of highlight and glorify colonialism like at its best affect our opinions of what is ethical like broadly speaking in terms of international right. relationships and i don't know how to test that <laughs> and I, I mean that gets into the broader thing too of like well that colonial narrative doesn't only exist in the games like no. that exists in a lot of our movies and a lot of our television shows as well so like you have all this, like, the data is just polluting each other all over the place. Yeah. So, like, the kind of study you would need to do is something like, like, I did a video about cultivation theory, um, which is the idea that, like, the media you consume can affect your worldview, but it's sort of like the some content has some effect on some people is, like, the way they hedge it. But <laughs> they found general evidence that, like, People who watch a lot of a certain kind of show, sometimes their values start to align with that show. And this is like worked in positive ways as well. Like there's a there's a 
study that showed that um, cognitively people who don't know very many like like white people who don't know a lot of black people, if they watch shows with black characters on them, their brain relates to the people on those shows similarly to the way they relate to their actual real life friends. Um, and that in this like very, very like narrow and like obviously don't inflate the importance of this way, they kind of get the experience of seeing a person not like them as a friend, um, which they don't get from their day to day life. And like, that can be a good thing. That can be a very positive effect that it can have on people. But like, like that's like studying that, right? Is like, you need to, you need to look at like a population of like a few hundred people over the course of several years and determine like, okay, we found that the population of people who played this type of shooter on average had higher support of the military than another population of people who don't play very many violent games Right. And it's like you're talking about years of research with hundreds of people in order to get anything conclusive. And that's like there's no no one is funding that study. Like there's no money for that study because people are either going to think it's a waste of time or it's going to turn up something the NRA doesn't want. <laughs> Very true. Yeah, I I love that you brought up also the positive effects of video games because I, I as a I would say a hopeful a hopeful person <laughs> I've like I really love games and there's something about games that makes me think they will like save us but like I have to yeah. honestly sit back and be like there's not there's not data for the like there's no evidence that who you are before you play a game and who you are after you play a game will be substantially different in any way like not yet and there's as you said there's just not any data for it and I I think at the games for change conference that just happened someone went on stage and said like our ideals are great we need more we need more data to back up what we're doing and games for change is geared towards positive social action and kind of interference I guess with video games Mm-hmm. And I, I loved that that some of the most nuanced conversations I've seen happen are like, we need to be hopeful and of course, like try our best, like obviously games with less sexism, regardless of whether it's a one to one improvement or dis disimprovement. It's just kind of mm. the nice thing to do. Like, don't make yeah. don't make shitty stuff. It doesn't matter what the research says. yeah yeah like that's one of the things like do i really need data to point out that maybe making a video game where you shoot lots of brown people is like a questionable (laughs) thing like do i need do i need a research study for that yeah i mean there's just some things it's like why do you need there to be research that says that racist media is bad clearly that is already (laughs) yeah (laughs) i feel like we've solidified that as as a thing but who knows I'm not I'm not part of those conversations. <laughs> mm. It turns out. Well, you are now. I am. I've I've we've mentioned the word gamergate in this podcast, so. Oh. We've uh, Why did we do that? <laughs> it's kind of like going into the bathroom and what is it saying bloody mary's name three times? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Something bad will happen. No, but yeah, I love it. I love that and I love that you're actually one of the people that are pushing forward that conversation. Most of your videos are very nuanced, which I love, is that you are taking comments and you are providing very thoughtful, multifaceted commentary on things that make people upset <laughs> in a way that I think is actually mm. very compassionate and empathetic. It's still very strong in your message. I, I don't think you ever skirt around what your personal feelings are about a subject, but... The people who get mad at me don't feel that it's empathetic. But, uh, oh, yeah, that's true. Well, you know, I think it is. Like, when I, Thank you. When I watch your videos, I'm actually empathetic to people I disagree with, which I think, like your Angry Jack videos, 
I actually left feeling kind of sympathetic towards angry. I know that sounds very strange, but like it became a very human person that I was like, oh, I can see how this would have come to be. I don't agree with the response to those feelings, but I can understand and empathize with those feelings as a fellow. Yeah, I mean, that's sort of the goal, right, is to acknowledge. I mean, one of the things I want to acknowledge in videos like that is the idea that like, while there are people who behave badly in response to these feelings, most people feel these feelings and acknowledging that like, None of us are perfect. Um, all of us fail in some way. Like most of us who feel these feelings will probably be kind of irrationally angry at some point in our lives. And it's more a question of like, how do you respond to those feelings um, and judging sort of trying to judge people based on not who they are, but what they do, I guess. So do you have um, we're, we're approaching the end of our time together. Do you have any final thoughts or things that you wished you could have said that I, I did not prompt you for? Do you do you know what the most popular computer game of the 90s was? I hope it was something that I played. Was it Barbie Horse Adventures? <laughs> it, it was not Barbie Horse Adventures. Uh, it was Myst. Oh, you know what? That was the top-selling game of the 90s. So then do you know what the game of the 2000s that knocked Myst off its throne was? Was it Grand Theft Auto? Or, no, 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 Halo? It was The Sims. <gasps> oh, the, you know what? The Sims, it's another game that comes up every episode. It, like people just what one because it's a fun game but also because it it changed it's because the conversation this is a podcast for filthy casuals isn't it <laughs> well i mean my last series was about video games with people who don't enjoy playing video games so that, that is, is like true. <laughs> that is like worse than casual and, um and so and, now now the game that uh is the best-selling game of like the 2010s which is also i think the best-selling game of all time is minecraft mm And so, like, I think that we tend to inflate in our minds how ubiquitous violent games actually are. Like, a huge proportion of games that are made are violent. And a lot of the, like, the idea behind them is, oh, well, you know, like, like, violence is what sells. You got to make violent games if you want to make money. Like, that's sort of what the shareholders are thinking. Um, If you are a publicly traded company and you want to make sure that shareholders don't start selling your stocks, you're like, oh, make what's popular. What's popular? Uh, What used to be first person shooters. Now, I guess it's like open world third person violent games. But it's like you look at you look at the games that have actually like dominated the sales throughout the last three decades. And it's like the thing all three of them have in common is that they're not particularly combat focused. Um, Minecraft is the only one that has combat of any sort in it. And all three are really, really popular with both men and women. And also all three have been called not games. (laughs) (laughs) So the trick to being successful in a game industry is to not make a game. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, to make make something people will call not a game and just cry all the way to the bank. (laughs) Um, Well, wonderful. Now that... Now that we've talked about this, I'm immediately going to go buy the new Sims. <laughs> okay. And give them all of my money. Thank you so much for coming on. I've really enjoyed this conversation. I um, I hope I can convince you to come back again for another topic. I I feel like you're an untapped, untapped conversational centerpiece in my podcast. So You could twist my arm. <laughs> awesome. Listeners, thank you so much for tuning in to this episode and my mini-series on violence in video games. I will link all of Ian's Ian's things down in the bottom of my show notes. Check it out. He makes some great stuff. Also, if you would be so kind as to let your friends know if you enjoyed this episode. I love it when I can involve more people in the conversation. So share it with friends. Let them know to hit me up on the Facebooks. Um, that's 
facebook.com slash gaming broadly. Commenting there has been alive and well, so I'd love to hear hear from folks about where their experiences of violence have taken them, which is a broad question, but I'm excited to see what people tell it. Hopefully it's not into a gun store, because that would defeat the purpose of, of this whole miniseries. <laughs> but awesome. Well, thanks so much for tuning in, and have a good day. Bye. Bye. Bye.